The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss M.M. herself. Well, as Goodnight Maryland fans, we are growing around the world each and every day. We have some shout-outs. Ronnie from Hollywood Hills, Gina from Phoenix, Arizona, Kirk from Great Falls, Montana, Rachel from Allenstown, Pennsylvania, Brian from Palmdale, California, Betsy from Glasgow, UK, Bella from Nice, France, Taylor from Miami, Florida, Don from Pasadena, and Sammy from, I don't say, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Cebu, Philippines, or Cebu, Philippines. Also, a very special happy birthday, as I, as I said, to our really good uh, Good Night Maryland um, team member, Lisa Ando, another Aries. We had uh, Gary last week, and uh, now we have uh, Lisa this week. A very special birthday to her as we uh, move into April. And uh, we also have a very special guest this week. We have Dr. Cyril Weck, who is part of our investigation team. And this introduction is taken right from Mary Jane's interview with Dr. Cyril Weck last year. Dr. Weck, as he, she introduced him, is very familiar with controversial deaths, deaths as both a forensic pathologist and an attorney with a medical degree from the University of Pittsburgh and a law degree from the University of Maryland. He can offer a uniquely educated view on all aspects of high-profile cases. He has consulted and provided expert witness on the who's who of famous cases, both John and Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., Elvis Presley, O.J. Simpson, Sharon Tate, John Benet Ramsey, and Anna Nicole Smith, among others. He has testified in over thousands and thousands of court cases, published over 500 professional papers, and authored and co-authored 44 books. He has personally performed approximately 17,000 autopsies and consulted in an additional 35,000. If there's anyone who can offer some insight and clarification into the death of Marilyn Monroe, Dr. Weck is the man to do it. Welcome to the show, Dr. Weck. Thank you. A pleasure being with you and uh, your, your other guest. 
Well, so many people are claiming to be part of Maryland's life that it really does become confusing to know who all the players are. And really, we're finding out who isn't. And this season, we are taking an in-depth look at what uh, what is really going on as we dissect the 1982 DA report. Well, there's a lot of information in the DA report about the pathology, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're getting more clarification on this case. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to really break down what is tangible in form, what is real and what is not. You know, you cannot debate science. I think some of the confusion out there is that there are a lot of stories that have been aired over the years and some people talking about her dying in the middle of the night and some people say at daylight and then there's the issue about how she died and the pathology around it. So we're going to find out today what is possible and what isn't. But before we get into this week's show, I have some special people I need to thank. Randall Libero, our executive producer of Goodnight Maryland, also the Voice America Radio Network's We also have Joe filling in for Mike this week as our engineer and Jennifer, our social media person. And, of course, the Goodnight Maryland uh, panel and the Goodnight Maryland fans. We could not do this without you. And because you know I feel very passionate about this, uh, if you go to the goodnightmaryland.com website, up at the top there is a, a tab that says Petition. And we are asking you to sign the petition, not to get into the whole, you know, was she murdered, what was happening. It's just very simple to overturn the coroner findings from probable suicide to even undetermined or accidental, unless we find something more in our investigation, which is coming up, the real life investigation. So with that, get started. Uh, let's get started. Good night, Marilyn, with uh, radio with me. The panel is back. Gary Vitaka Robles, the best-selling author of Icon, the Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, and Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray and Leslie Kasperowitz. We are discussing the 641-page uh, DA report, and this one, this week we're jumping right in. We are uh, going to talk to Dr. Cyril Weck. And Mary Jane, um, you are here with us, and uh, you conducted an interview with Dr. Weck, which was very compelling. Um, and if you haven't gone to the Immortal Maryland's website, I'm going to suggest that you do after you listen to this, this show as well, because it's right there in black and white, a lot of the information there. So, Mary Jane, why don't you give us a, a little overview of your interview with him and some of the things that are still plaguing the Maryland fans out there? Okay. I was uh, honored to interview Dr. Weck last August, um, and the focus of our interview was going over and kind of taking apart the autopsy report and delving into what some of the medical and pathology terminology meant for the average layperson who may have difficulty making sense of all these medical terms. And then the other thing we mainly addressed was some of the, some of the things from the autopsy and the toxicology that have spawned conspiracies that people would say, oh, well, this is evidence of foul play. But when you look at it from a patho, you know, a, um, a pathology perspective, it's, Dr. Weck was able to clear up that a lot of it is actually completely natural. So, so you know, in jumping right in, Mary Jane, I know some of the things that you asked him. You still had some follow up questions. Um, before I get to Leslie, is there one question you'd like to to ask him as a follow up? I did actually. There was one more thing I wanted to clarify, um, Dr. Weck. You had said that you couldn't 
uh, rule out the possibility of the drugs being administered via injection. But then my question would be if the body had enough time to metabolize 13 milligrams of Nembutal in the liver, wouldn't that cancel out the injection? Because you had said that it would take four to six minutes to die from an intravenous injection of drugs. Well, yes, depending upon how rapidly um, the infusion is made and, of course, what the quantity is, uh, then uh, you would not uh, live a long time. However, um, sometimes uh, people can be put into a a deep state, um, a deep comatose state beyond the stupor, um, and, uh, you know, it's on the doorstep of death, but not really with all of the metabolic processes shut down. And so, therefore, um, on occasion, you will have some uh, drug deaths where the person um, is immediately made unconscious, moves, as I've said, uh, through stupor into coma, um, but um, doesn't really stop um, completely respiratory and cardiac activity. And therefore, in such cases, even though the metabolic rate is markedly slowed, uh, it does continue for some time. So one has to keep that in mind in terms of uh, um, evaluating the presence of a drug in organ systems, um, you know, beyond the blood. Um, But you make a very good point in the fact uh, that there is uh, such a level uh, in liver tissue um, does uh, argue against uh, intravenous injection. Thank you so much. All right. So, Leslie Kasperowitz, I know you had some questions for Dr. Weck as well, and I want to jump. have you jump right in as, as well. All right. Thanks, Nina. Um, uh, my first question really was very similar to Mary Jane's question. Uh, I really wondered, um, because a lot of the questions in this case seem to hinge on whether the overdose might have been administered in some other way other than orally, um, specifically generally injection, as Mary Jane mentioned, or anima. Um, I guess my main question is, do you see, when you look at the pathology in this case, do you see any indication that it could have been anything other than oral, or would, would you generally believe that it would be an oral injection in this case? Well, there's nothing of a definitive nature um, to corroborate um, uh, substantiate a, a an allegation, a belief that there was a, an intravenous or even a, a subcutaneous injection. Dr. Noguchi uh, thoroughly examined the body. No fresh needle puncture marks were noted. Now, of course, uh, you can uh, have an injection sometimes uh, in a uh, an obscure place, uh, uh, even under nails. I've seen uh, some people who are longtime addicts uh, uh, between toes uh, and so on to obscure uh, the uh, sites as nobody sees it then on their hands or elsewhere on their bodies on a man uh, who has hair uh, on the body uh, to an extensive degree of course sometimes with a very small bore needle it would be difficult to identify a needle puncture site in a woman you don't have that kind of chest hair or pubic hair so uh, that further argues against there having been a needle puncture uh, uh, site. Um, um, the um, um, the other um, the other you know possible sites. I I don't know. Uh, um, then what 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 you're what you're left with um, to uh, 
you know, to substantiate the belief. Uh, the the argument for the um, for the belief that uh, there might have been an intravenous injection, of course, uh, relates to uh, two things: uh, one, a high level, and two, uh, reportedly, the absence of. Uh, uh, capsules, pills, tablets, even in disintegrating form within the gastric contents, um, and so on. And, of course, then we get into another aspect we can talk about later, and that is uh, what happened to uh, the contents of the stomach and the small intestine, which were obtained by Dr. Noguchi in uh, incremental fashion. That is one part of the uh, small intestine, followed by another part, followed by a third part, and so on, moving from the duodenum, um, the beginning of the small intestine at the end of the stomach, into the uh, jejunum, and so on. Uh, but um, let's talk about what we do have, and that is um, the the absence of an identified or a suggested needle puncture mark. Um, we don't know, of course, about the scene itself in terms of needles and syringes, because that gets into a whole other aspect of the case that uh, we may be talking about who was there and how long did it take before detectives were called and uh, what, why, what, why did so many hours pass by with one and then a second doctor before uh, the detectives were called. What, what is it they were doing? What is it they felt they had to do? So, you know, that's, uh, I, I wish I could give you a, a more definitive answer, but I, I, I must say that there is to my knowledge, no basis uh, in terms of an anatomic finding uh, on the body of Marilyn Monroe to indicate or suggest even a needle puncture mark of recent vintage. All right, you 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 heard it right there. Um, a question that I think is very, and you've mentioned it, Dr. Weck, that I think keeps coming up, um, is the crystals or lack of in her stomach. Can you address that issue? Well, these um, um, capsules uh, disintegrate quickly, and if you have an empty stomach and no food um, slowing down that process, the gastric uh, juices, hydrochloric acid, and the uh, various other enzymes uh, act quickly. And um, they uh, can lead to the rapid disintegration. You know, I continue to do uh, autopsies at a... Um, very substantial pace. Uh, out of 456 last year, more than 250 were drug deaths. I've already done 120 in three months this year, and uh, more than half of those are drug deaths. Now, uh, many of those uh, are people who ingest as opposed to people who inject. And um, I can tell you, <laughs> really, thinking about it as I speak um, and address this point now, that it is rare, rare for me to find tablets, pills, capsules in the stomach. Um, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, the barbiturate, whether um, it's uh, the chloral hydrate, as in Maryland's case, whether it's any of the uh, other drugs that we deal with uh, today, uh, leaving out the injection um, cases, that... It, that's how fast it happens. One, you know, one tends to think, "Gee, doesn't it take a while for people to digest food and so on and so forth?" Well, the pills and tablets and capsules are not food, um, and especially as I say, on an empty stomach. So um, 
there were uh, no findings of any substantial nature, uh, no uh, significant uh, degradation products, such as to suggest capsules, and that doesn't square with the number of capsules, tablets, that she would have had to have ingested in order to have reached those high levels of uh, nebutol and chloral hydrate. Um, then, then you move to the next question of Dr. Noguchi collecting those specimens, identifying them separately, gastric contents, and then, as I've said before, portions from the small bowel, and then those uh, specimens um, uh, disappearing, uh, uh, being destroyed, uh, whatever happened, uh, discarded, uh, I don't think we know for sure, Um, uh, within a matter of of, of a a day or two. I, I, I forget exactly what the period of time was, but that should never, never have happened, even in, you know, a, a routine case of, of Mr. Jones or Ms. Brown, let alone Marilyn Monroe. You want to go back and do these tests. So let me ask you a question, because I, I've had actually somebody in law enforcement, I'm just going to say somebody in law enforcement say, you know, well, it's not so unusual for them to lose, um, you know, some types of tests like that. And what you're saying is is really important here. From the cases you've worked on, have you ever, you said, you know, you know, the average Joe, let alone Marilyn Monroe, have you ever seen somebody really uh, lose these types of tests, uh, you know, in a kind of a general way like this? I find it hard uh, to uh, to accept um, that statement made by um, your 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 friend or whomever, um, and it's a. Uh, you know, I, I'm not defending the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner Coroner's Office. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, I I have no personal <laughs> uh, uh, feeling one way or another. Um, but um, I do want to point out that this is a is and was a competent, experienced laboratory, uh, one of the uh, uh, best laboratories around. And while they were very busy, um, they knew what they had to do. The statement that it's not uncommon or that it is not infrequent, whatever the words were that uh, that gentleman used uh, for specimens to be lost, that is incorrect. I'm not telling you that it never, never happens, but, um, and, you know, I I know a couple instances over the years where people doing uh, three, four, five autopsies in the laboratory around the same time. Uh, sure, has it ever happened that a specimen that gets mixed up? You're darn right, just like it's happened that a neurosurgeon has operated on the wrong side of the brain. Um, that's happened, or a, an orthopedic surgeon operating on the wrong leg. Um, so no, nobody is perfect. But the idea that, well, you know, specimens might be lost or something, no, that is, that is simply unacceptable, and there's no basis for that. I, I do not know, and I'm sorry that that toxicologist is not around. I think it was Dr. Abernathy. I knew him also from the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. Um, I just, I'm uncomfortable. How, what shall I say? I can't make it any stronger, uh, not to be nice, um, but uh, I have no basis to be stronger. But I find it uh, quite, quite puzzling that this uh, case, <laughs> and Marilyn Monroe is not uh, Susie Jones or Harriet Brown. She is Marilyn Monroe, okay? And Dr. Noguchi collected what he had to collect, and there is a reason for that when you want to get into segmental analysis in order to try to uh, temporally um, quantitate um, 
the uh, uh, periodicity and get some idea, well, you know, what might have been taken within a half hour, then an hour, and so on and so forth. I mean, that, that's why you do that. Um, so for those specimens to wind up missing, um, that, that troubles me. I, I, just don't, I just don't feel comfortable with that. But, but it happened, and, uh, and we don't have those specimens. And, and that continues to be a problem of a very vexing nature. All right. Well, Gary uh, Vitaco Robles has a question for you as well. Yes. Um, hi, Dr. Weck. I'd like hi, to go George. back to the issue of the, the, the residue, the lack of residue in the stomach. The autopsy report shows that the stomach was congested and that there was mucosal hemorrhaging. Would those be signs of a massive irritant such as a drug overdose in the stomach? Well, congestion is a very, very general thing. Congestion simply means that tiny blood vessels um, um, become uh, a little bit dilated and filled with blood, and, and that's what congestion means. Um, the, uh, what, what kind of hemorrhage did you refer to? I'm sorry, I didn't get the other word. Um, it, it was mucosal. Mucosal. Mucosa is the inner lining. Um, The stomach has an inner lining, just one layer of mucosa, and then it has what they call the submucosa, and then it has a muscularis, a very thin layer of muscle, and then it has the outer layer, the serosa, um, and so on. So uh, mucosal hemorrhages means that they're limited to that outer layer. They don't produce any actual liquid blood. And it's just maybe a step beyond uh, congestion where some of the tiny vessels uh, may leak a little bit and give you a little bit of hemorrhage. So the answer to your question is that you can get that picture in many kinds of deaths. This can be an agonal, what we call agonal. There's a word that uh, is used with um, scientific meaning in pathology. It means in that period of dying. Um, it's, it's on one hand vague. Sometimes the pathologists use it uh, to <laughs> maybe like a little bit of a weasel word. Was he dead? Was he not dead? <laughs> uh, you know, this minute, that minute. Uh, you know, not everybody, you know, you don't die in a, in, in a second unless your head's blown off. Um, but, you know, there's always some lingering um, period of time, whatever it may be, no matter what. So during that time, as the heart begins to beat ineffectively, ineffectively uh, arrhythmically, um, and, and so on, then blood just backs up. Think of the heart as a major pump, and it stops pumping, and, and the blood just uh, gets backed up, and that means uh, in, you know, in all the uh, vasculature of the body. So gastric congestion uh, would be consistent with ingestion of tablets, but by no means is it diagnostic of ingestion of tablets, capsules, or pills. The same thing with focal mucosal hemorrhages. Think of them. These are, you know, not hemorrhage always connotes some significant bleeding, but hemorrhage in this context is is just a very superficial pinpoint uh, type of of bleeding. That's all it is. And you can get that, as they say, in the agonal period of people dying from any number of things. Including, including dying from an, an overdose of drugs, and, and the, the drugs could could have been taken orally. They could have been injected. The the congestion and the mucosal hemorrhage is is more related to the diminution of cardiac activity and the backing up of blood than it is to a direct corrosive effect. You're not talking about a compound which 
is strongly acidic or strongly alkaline, which will irritate and, and injure the mucosal lining in and of itself. You're talking really about a, a cardiac um, event in which, as I've said, the blood backs up, there is congestion. That is what is described then, including those mucosal hemorrhages. And, and so you see, it doesn't answer the problem for us, the question whether or not those findings were caused by drugs as opposed to uh, just simply part of the process of dying. And also, I want to get to after the break is uh, a combination which you addressed in Mary Jane's interview with you is that we also don't know in regards to her death um, if it was a combination of pills and potentially um, being administered. And that's also sometimes uh, a lot of the Maryland fans are asking about that as well. So we're going to take a short break. Um, we have a wonderful special guest with us, Dr. Cyril Weck, the renowned forensic pathologist. The panel and myself are asking him quite a few questions here, and we're getting to the toxicology and the forensic pathology of Marilyn Monroe. We'll be back right after this. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Hi, everybody, and welcome back to this week's show of Goodnight Maryland Radio. We are, have a special guest, Dr. Cyril Weck, talking about the forensic pathology of Maryland. We were talking uh, about uh, the the pathology prior to the to the break, and I asked him the question because one of the things that comes up with the Maryland fans is that could she have been uh, taken some of the pills kind of in that oozy state and then potentially could it been administered? And uh, your answer to that, Dr. Weck. You mean, uh, your, your question, can somebody uh, take these kinds of central nervous system depressant drugs, become confused, forget that they're taking it, and then take more, and so on. Is that, is that your question? Yeah, that's one of the questions. That's actually a great question. And then the, the, the real question is, is some people are still thinking that she might have had a suppository or some type of, not enema, like a full enema, but like a small, small, uh, you know, dose of maybe a little syringe enema that just gave her the administered drugs because she had so many in her system. Can you address that? Well, as I recall... Uh, she had fecal material uh, in the large bowel, which argues against uh, then, you know, an enema, which uh, should have then eliminated fecal material. And I also recall uh, that there were uh, no findings of any suppository materials, uh, you know, and again, granules, uh, um, any kind of uh, degradation uh, products of, uh, of those physical constituents. So... Uh, you know, is it possible that uh, she might have uh, taken a suppository, uh, one of the self-absorbent kind? Uh, I, I, you know, I can't rule it out, but it doesn't seem to make sense if you think about it. Um, why would anybody uh, take drugs, um, uh, however they take it, um, and then also do a suppository? And let's just to make a point. Uh, somebody's going to kill somebody, um, why would they ever use a suppository? Um, because um, the suppository itself is not going to result in the kinds of levels that we have here with the uh, two drugs that led to her death. So, uh, you know, it just doesn't fit in uh, to me uh, theoretically uh, as well as uh, physically. The, I, 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 don't, I do not believe there was... A, a suppository. There's no evidence of it. And so far as the other question which I posed, I, I misunderstood you. Um, you know, let me let me comment on that. This question has been raised. Uh, one can imagine, um, if you think about it, um, these drugs do lead uh, to a state of confusion. Um, uh, it, 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 it's it's well known. Um, I remember myself. Um, taking, and I think it was Flexeril, um, which is a musculoskeletal relaxant of some kind. I had uh, strained, strained something, and and I'll, I'll never forget. We had gone to dinner, and then I was going to see uh, JFK. Uh, I had been a technical consultant to Oliver Stone, looking forward to it, and I took this Flexeril, and and I I myself that evening I, I kind of knew I was spacey, but I didn't learn until later on from my wife um, how spaced out I was at dinner, and I remember later that I uh, sure as heck had to see the movie a second time uh, <laughs> because I, I really didn't remember a hell of a lot from the first time. And that was just from Flexeril, um, which is, you know, it's a musculoskeletal relaxant, and that's all it is. Um, 
So, and you know, I, I remember when I was in the Air Force, and I used to take uh, Air Force hops on weekends. Um, they called Goonie Birds. They were C-47 transport planes, and they were just had bucket seats of hard metal. And and uh, the pilot would do you a favor. You know, they were getting in their flying hours because they were in class all week at that big base. And uh, so, you know, I was single. Go here, go there, uh, uh, whatever. And uh, and I would take Benadryl. And 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 uh, Benadryl would just knock me out. So I, you know, I was a full-bodied, uh, healthy male. I'm just using myself as an example. Um, nothing to boast. Of, I guess I should be embarrassed, but the point I'm making is that some people are more sensitive than others. So back to um, Ken, is it possible? Is it conceivable? Is it physiological, physiologically plausible? Somebody uh, takes um, a drug or so on, becomes confused and forgets. Sure, why not? I don't know that it happens often. I doubt that it does. And um, then, of course, if you have someone uh, who's done it before, etc., they uh, probably uh, have sufficient wits about them to know what their schedule is uh, and so on. But it is not uh, it is not unlikely. And, of course, that then gets you to the question of uh, whether or not this is a suicide um, or undetermined or homicide or accident. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to... Um, get ahead of you, of, of you uh, Nina. Um, uh, stop me. Yeah. But if you no, know, I, 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 I think yet, you're bringing, but, uh, I, know, I know Mary Jane wants to ask a question, but I want to just follow this thought just one more, one more step, it, it, is that, you know, one of the things that I'd like to see happen, let's take out the sinister, anything sinister at the moment, okay? Just based on what you know, Really and truly, can we say without a shadow of a doubt that this woman committed suicide? My answer is unequivocally, unhesitatingly, no. And I don't say that again. It makes no difference to me of any kind, professionally, personally, financially, uh, whatever, uh, none. Um, I disagree with that um, uh, manner of death, number, uh, number one. Number two, I have yet... And I've done now about 20,000 autopsies. You guys have to bring up your numbers. Um, and I've reviewed about 40,000 others. I have yet to see. I've never seen. I have never seen a medical examiner or coroner's certificate of death. And it would have to be one of those. Certainly can't be a, a natural death certificate signed by a doctor or hospital because you're not permitted to do anything other than a natural death. So we're talking about medical examiner. In coroner's cases, I have never seen probable, possible, or or any other um, um, kind of uh, equivocating uh, uh, adjective. Um, you have five manners of death uh, to use on the death certificate of an ME coroner's office in order of de- decreasing frequency of, of occurrence, natural, accident, suicide, homicide, undetermined. Okay? Um, and... Um, you you choose, and when you when you can't choose, then you use undetermined. And there's nothing embarrassing about that. There's no reason to be hesitant or so on. Um, I I've used it. You don't use it often because you don't have to use it often. Most of the time, uh, you'll find out uh, from your um, toxicological microscopic findings, uh, from the detectives' investigative reports, etc., and and the doctors' reports and hospital records, and you'll get a pretty good idea. But there are cases when you just cannot be sure. And I think that this is a case as far as I know it. Um, I, I mean, 
at that point in time, they hadn't um, finished, uh, they should not have finished a thorough investigation uh, and rule out, uh, you know, even homicide until everybody possibly who had been there had uh, been questioned and so on. But let's let's set that aside. And you're, you're left with accident versus suicide. How can you be sure? I, as far as I know, there's no suicide note, as far as I recall, and you good folks probably know more about these details than I. Then Marilyn had spoken with people, where Joe DiMaggio's son, her stepson uh, from an earlier marriage, and, and so on, had, had not voiced any thoughts of a suicidal nature, no suicidal ideation expressed, uh, at least around that time, and so on and so forth. Um, so how, how do we know um, what, what was going on? And why could it not have been accidental? And as a matter of fact, let me tell you this, that today, with all of the drug deaths, and I told you, uh, you know, the numbers uh, relating to me and so on, I can tell you this, that to my knowledge, there may be exceptions, but to my knowledge, and I'm not aware of any exception, when you have two or more drugs involved in leading to acute combined drug overdose fatality, uh, medical examiners, experienced forensic pathologists, are calling these cases accidental. They are not wow. calling them suicidal. Um, um, the the idea being that if you're going to commit suicide, you know what I mean. You don't you don't uh, uh, fool around with uh, two or more drugs. I'm not saying that it doesn't ever happen and 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 that, that it's impossible. But what I'm saying is that you know most people, if you want to commit suicide, you know you just go ahead and you grab. Uh, that fistful of whatever it is, and you do it. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying that it's impossible in Marilyn's case, but I'm saying that it's a strong argument to be made that one can't be sure that it was suicide, unless unless uh, they know more than than I know or thought I know or, thought, or think that I remembered. And I'll ask you, all your good folks here, to tell me if there's more to it that, that I'm not aware of. But yeah. uh, if, I, if I'm right, then this is a manner of death that should have definitely been signed out as undetermined, um, not being sure that it was suicide at all. And, and remember, between suicide and accident, for moral, ethical, legal, financial, religious reasons, uh, and I don't, I don't hesitate to say this, as a coroner medical examiner, when I'm torn betwixt and between, I mean, I don't cover up, I never covered up the suicide, but if, if, if it wasn't, you know, if there wasn't pretty clear evidence uh, of a suicidal nature, uh, of a forensic nature and so on, I, I certainly did not uh, then go with suicide because um, of my... Uh, a pseudo Freudian analysis. I would I would leave it then as undetermined. And if there was reason to believe that it was accidental, like uh, several drugs, then that's what I would call it. As I do today, uh, when I have multiple drugs involved. Well, that's uh, that's really important. That distinction, and that's a key key aspect. I think why the Maryland fans, at the very least, are not happy with the fact that it says probable suicide. Uh, Mary Jane, you wanted to ask a question as well. Yes, um, Dr. White, since you are both a forensic pathologist and an attorney, you are the perfect person to ask this question. Um, we had touched on it in our previous interview, but um, between June 7th and August 3rd, a Hello? single doctor prescribed Maryland 772 barbiturates, and um, at, while he was telling um, investigators that he was trying to wean her off of drugs and he flat out said that he didn't give her the chloral hydrate that killed her and it later came to light that he did in fact prescribe it. 
Um, you had said that federal statutes set forth criteria for when criminal charges can be brought against a doctor who prescribes inordinate amounts, and this would be a classic example. So my question is, what is that criteria, and what do you think that doctor should have been charged with? Very good question, observation. Uh, every state and federal law has a statute that permits the criminal prosecution of a physician uh, for uh, prescribing drugs that lead to the death of somebody if if um, the uh, prescription is uh, in excessive amounts and so on. In fact, um, you good folks out there in California, it was just, uh, what, two, three months ago, a woman doctor, a uh, an Asian woman doctor, wasn't she? She was convicted of, uh, I think, of serious murder charges, uh, the deaths of two people um, for whom she had prescribed uh, heavy doses of medication. Mm-hmm. Any of you, you know that? I forget her name. Um, yeah, I don't look, remember. All right, well, look, look it up. You'll see it just, uh, just, just within the past, uh, certainly within the past half year, I think uh, maybe three, four months, um, I have testified in both um, uh, state and federal courts in such cases. And I believe, by the way, I don't want to digress, that there should be more such actions. And I don't say this because I have a prosecutorial bent. I do not. I'm not not, uh, prosecutorially minded. But I am very, very upset with physicians generally. And, in fact, I had a letter to the editor of the New York Times published this past Sunday, um, um, which was on that very point, more than half of my drug deaths are people who got started on these drugs uh, by their doctors. Um, the, the, the number, get back to Marilyn Monroe, the quantities that were prescribed by that doctor are absolutely out of the ballpark, and his statement that he weaning her away from, from the drugs is totally absurd, uh, and so on, and I believe that he could well have been charged. It would be manslaughter. It wouldn't be first, second. It could rise possibly to third-degree murder, but certainly manslaughter. Um, and, you know, you have with Dr. Conrad Murray, and think about that Michael Jackson case, and it's uh, not exactly the same, but thinking of, of you know, a doctor who prescribed uh, medication, and then you had uh, the two doctors. They were not then charged criminally, but they uh, they... I think maybe charges were, were brought and dropped uh, who were involved in the Anna Nicole Smith case in which I did second autopsies on her and her son, Daniel Smith, and there were questions about where those drugs came from. So uh, dealing with Marilyn Monroe, a large, um, inordinate amount is no way you can do the math yourself of, uh, I think, two months. You, right? you went early June to early August, am I right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so that's uh, that's two months, okay? That's 60 days, all right? 60 days times a tablet is 60 times 1 is 60, right? Uh, and 60 times 2 is 120. 772 is more than 12, uh, 12 and a half a day, right? Mm-hmm. And, let me, and, let me just, and let me just clarify that, something, that, that, too. That's fading an addiction. <laughs> There's no other definition. That is fading an addiction. And let me just, uh, just for clarification also, the combination of chloral hydrate and nebutal, he had to have known the dangers of that. Is that correct, Absolutely. whether you're back in 1962 yeah, or 2016? Uh, when, when, you, when you give one uh, central nervous system depressant, look, the barbitol, the bar- barbiturate, is 
for it's a sedative is to induce sleep chlorohydrate is to induce sleep also i remember when i was an intern it was a very popular drug i interned at a large catholic hospital um, they had about 350 beds for neuropsychiatric patients and the other 350 for regular patients and chlorohydrate was the big big drug that was used uh, these alcoholics and other people with mental problems it's it's out of style now it's still a legal drug but it's so out of style <laughs> two of my kids who are doctors they've heard of it but they've never <laughs> prescribed it in all their years of practice, uh, neurosurgery and, and obstetric gynecology, and never have, 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 have seen or written a prescription. But, but it is around. But the point is that, my God, if you're giving one of those, you don't have to give another one. I mean, it, it's, it's absurd. And, um, uh, well, uh, one of the doctors is an, it was a psychiatrist, right? Um, and yes. what was the other? What was the other doctor? An internist? Uh, the yeah. other one was Dr. Engelberg, Hyman yeah, Engelberg. Yeah, an internist, right. So, you know, both of them uh, certainly um, should know. And, uh, again, you know, not a matter of uh, giving anybody pleasure by uh, disciplining them, uh, taking away their license, when bring Marilyn Monroe back. But in answer to your question, do I believe that that case, in fact, if it occurred today, uh, that would be a case in which I would be willing to bet that a district attorney would most likely make a move because of the celebrity involved and the number, the quantity involved, and then those other circumstances, the cleaning up, whatever the heck they did there for, for a few hours. We haven't talked about that. Uh, the housekeeper calls one doctor, the psychiatrist, I think. He was there for, what, two, three, four hours. He calls the other doctor. The other doctor comes for another couple, three hours before the detectives are called, and then uh, a while before a medical examiner even sees the body and so on. I mean, this is this is absolutely unacceptable. And, and you know, I, I wish that the, the good people of Los Angeles would get their act together um, you know, enough of this business already, like, uh, you know, O.J. Simpson, <laughs> talk about that another day, with uh, uh, his wife and Ron Goldman lying around for a whole bunch of hours before the medical examiner's called, uh, John Benet Ramsey lying around for several hours before the medical examiner uh, coroner comes and so on. You can't do that because no. determination of time of death is difficult and vague enough as it is in the, in the tightest type of scenario, and the dragging out of hours and hours diminishes markedly the validity of temporal determinations as the time of death. Rigor mortis, liver mortis, agor mortis, body temperature, well, uh, with each passing hour, those, those criteria become less and less scientific. Well, let's get into that because the time of death is going to be key. Leslie has a great question in segue of this because this is this is really important because it it sets up a lot of the theories that are not true. Leslie, yes, um, yeah, going right into what you were saying um, when I was reading the DA report and Dr. Boyd Stevens talks a little bit about the time of death and addresses both rigor mortis and lividity and states that um, they can be somewhat variable in terms of determining time of death. Um, and he doesn't address liver temperature, which you did address in your interview with Mary Jane. And at the time, you had stated that you believed time of death to be no later than 9 p.m., um, based on the liver temperature being 89 degrees at 10.30 a.m. Um, at the autopsy. And I guess my question is, is would, would you stand by that 9 p.m. hour? Because we're 
I, my my question, I guess, is if we got Marilyn on the phone at seven thirty with Joe DiMaggio Jr. and sounding clear headed, and she then calls Dr. Greenson allegedly right after that, that's a very quick descent from the time that she's speaking on the phone clearly to a time of death of no later than nine. So I guess my question there is: is there any possibility that based on the variability of well, those things, that um, the time of body death temperatures decline? Um, in a um, normal environment, I mean, you know, not excessively hot, not excessively cold, you know, just room temperature and so on. Um, you know, it's not fixed to the um, tenth of a degree um, or so on, but the formula we use is within the first hour, one and a half to two degrees um, Fahrenheit, um, and the temperature drops, and then with each hour thereafter, uh, one more degree. So if you start off with a body temperature of 98.7 and so on, and you wind up with 89, as I recall, our discussion, or if you're asking me afresh now, that you you do your calculation, so you're down then, what, about 10 degrees? And so um, using the formula I just gave you, let's say if you have a couple degrees for the first hour and one after that, so you're talking about uh, nine hours or so. So uh, when was that temperature taken? At 10.30 a.m. Pardon me? At 10.30 a.m. 10.30 a.m. And I don't mm-hmm. know how I took it back to 9 p.m. then, um, because uh, 9 p.m. would be uh, then about 13, 13 and a half hours. Um, that's going back too far if those temperatures... Um, uh, correct, based upon, uh, so if uh, going back from um, from that 10.30 um, a.m. to 89 degrees, uh, let's say you got about 9, 10 hours um, approximately for, for the time of death. So if I said 9, I don't know how I would, I, if, if I said that, then I, I correct myself now, uh, 9, 10 hours Going back from 10:30, it would be um, what about uh, um, one o'clock, uh, 12:30 uh, uh, midnight uh, after about midnight? What? Am, I, am, I, am, I, am I right about that? Something like that. So, if the time of death then was a little bit later, that would allow a little more time for the absorption of the pills, I guess. Yes. 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 Okay. Yes. So what are we actually looking then at the time of death? Because I think that's one of the keys well, that we have. Well, going with the temperature, and then, of course, the you know, rigor mortis uh, is the body stiffening, and the body's been moved and handled and so on. Levor mortis, the gravitational settling of blood. As I recall, um, rigor mortis was fixed, and levor mortis, the uh, reddish-purple discoloration in the dependent portions of the body based upon the position of the individual when when she died, as in this case, and then the body temperature with a special thermometer into the liver uh, or high up into the rectum and so on. So putting those all together, um, Rigor begins to fix um, in two to, uh, after a couple hours, two to four hours, and then by uh, eight to 12 hours, it becomes fixed, firm. And Levor mortis begins to develop in a couple of hours, and again, um, in a similar time, pretty much um, becomes fixed, although you can develop a second pattern of rigor mortis if the body is changed into a second position. So if there was fixed rigor mortis and there was fixed rigor mortis and the body temperature was 89, so um, 
and the body temperature would be more scientific and less susceptible to individual variation than Rigor and Levor are, I would say that um, if she had that temperature, 1030, so going back um, uh, nine hours uh, roughly would be like uh, uh, 130 um, and uh, 10 hours at 12. Yeah, so I would I would place it then uh, based upon those findings somewhere, uh, let's say, around 1230 to 2 o'clock in the morning. That she passed away, based on yeah. on what you yeah know. That, that she that she died yeah yeah that she died yes now now could All she right. uh, going back to what we talked about uh, at the very beginning could she have been lingering on remember death does not occur in a second um, you know even even forget pills and everything else you got four or five minutes of oxygen in your brain that's going to sustain you in terms of of death again unless somebody shoots your head off uh, yes but, um, so but. So I mean, and then that's, and then when you get when drugs involved, you know, you you just don't know how how fast the cardiac yes. activity, you know, because you can you can get the diminution of cardiac activity, and if you don't get the the ventricular fibrillation, if you don't get a significant cardiac arrhythmia, and the heart is still able to beat with some rhythmicity, uh, albeit weak, 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 then you may still linger on in a deep comatose state. All right, Dr. Cyril Weck, I can't believe we went so over with you today, but it's so fascinating. We could probably have you on for five shows. I want to say thank you on the behalf of the panel and myself. Thank you so much well, for being you. on the show with us. Well, thank you. My pleasure I'm sorry to have talked so much, but uh, you guys can now pick it apart, and you'll have other things to talk about privately and, and on future and, shows. <laughs> and we'll look forward to it soon. That wraps another week's show. We'll be back next week with Goodnight Maryland Radio. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.